chapter, God's word from the book of Exodus, Exodus 40, the whole chapter. God's inspired and true word, give your attention to the reading of it, Exodus 40. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put in the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with a veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and put up and, and light up its lamps. And you shall put up the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil, anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and consecrate it in all its future furniture, so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand, and consecrate it. Then you shall bring bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall wash them with water, and put on Aaron... The holy garments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him, that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priest. And their anointing oil and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was created, was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of of the tent over it as the Lord commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it in the ark and put the poles of the ark And set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the table and set up or ignited the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set up the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over 
the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. As far as the reading of God's word, may bless So when was the last time you visited Ikea? Do you have some Ikea furniture in your house? Well, if you do, what do you think of it? Well, Ikea is, has generally, their stuff is generally decent, but more importantly, it's decently priced. The one hitch with Ikea furniture, though, is assembly is required, and there is no shortage of horror stories about putting it together. Hard to follow directions, missing tools or pieces, four hours sweating on the floor. You're almost finished, but you notice that you forgot a step and you have to take it all apart and redo it all. For many, the frustration is enough to pay extra for something already assembled. Well, the tabernacle is basically from Ikea. Full assembly is required. And yet, thankfully, the Lord's directions are clear. Moses is handy and capable. And the final profit or product far exceeds anything that is close to decent. So the menorah has been forged. The curtains have been woven and stitched together, and with seven steps of perfection, the holy vestments of Aaron have been fabricated. The wise women and the skilled men can step back and say, we did it. It's all made. Then, in seven waves, all the pieces and parts of the tabernacle were brought to Moses. Moses now stands amid a sea of pegs and curtains, wood frames, and bronze bases. It's kind of like when you're packing or spring cleaning, it always looks messier before it's all tidied up. Thus Yahweh now addresses Moses to start the assembly process. All the pieces are laid out, it's time to Lego. And the first step deals with timing. The tabernacle cannot be pierced together or pieced together on any random day, but only a single day will do, namely New Year's Day, on the first day of the first month, which was called a Bib. And this calendar day tells quite the story. This day marks nine months of Israel being at Sinai. The roaring mountain, the golden calf debacle, the casting of the gold for the ark, all of this has transpired in the past nine months. Yet this, a Bib first, also marks one year Since the Exodus, Israel marched out of Egypt on the 15th of the first month. Thus, one year ago, Israel's life began anew as they went from being Pharaoh's slaves to Yahweh's servants. The first month is a redemption month for the Hebrews. Well, on this New Year's Day, an equally significant event is about to occur A year ago, they lived in the house of slavery, but on this day, the people will become the dwelling place of God. Indeed, one could argue that this day is more monumental than the Exodus, for this is what it was all about. Getting out of Egypt was just the preliminary step to reach the summit of this glorious day to have Yahweh residing with his people and they worshiping him. 
Thus, New Year's Day is the epitome of new beginnings, of new creations. Well, something new is going to happen on this Abib first, and Israel's life will never be the same. Additionally, the Lord directs his instructions for assembly specifically to Moses alone. You shall set up the tabernacle is pointed at Moses. Now, sure, it is possible that he had helpers. But if he did, the helpers are completely suppressed in order to put the work fully in Moses' hands. The people built the furniture and the fences, but Moses himself puts it together. This is the work of the covenant mediator. In fact, constructing a sanctuary is typically the work of the king. The assembly of the tent of meeting belongs then to the royal function of Moses. Here he is wearing his mediatorial king hat. Nevertheless, with the date and actor set, Moses now lays out his instructions. And as with the last chapter, the Lord wants us to be counting. Thus the work in verses 2 through 8 is organized in seven steps. The seven steps basically match the same seven when the people brought everything to Moses in the latter part of chapter 39. So the movement is from the inside out, from the mark to the menorah to the courtyard, from the veil to the sanctum screen to the gate of the courtyard. And this order reflects a descent from the most holy to the lesser holy things to the pure objects which further tracks accessibility. The supremely sacred ark cannot be seen or touched, even by the high priest, while the courtyard gate could be looked upon and passed through by the pure lay Hebrew. And to structure all this legoing together in seven steps marks it all off as holy to the Lord. It is his sacred perfection. And yet this holiness is not communicated automatically. It's not made holy by the mere counting of it, but a ritual of purification is required. Therefore, after seven steps of assembly, the Lord adds three steps of sanctification, verses 9 through 11. Here Moses takes the anointing oil. He anoints all the furniture pieces, and by the oil, the fixtures are sanctified to become holy. Indeed, the text links together uh, these as two sides of the coin, the anointing and the sanctifying. By the holy oil, the items are made holy. And this anointing is a symbol of a deeper reality. Back in chapter 29, verse 43, after describing some of the same rituals here, the Lord said, I sanctify the tabernacle It is sanctified by my glory. The anointing is the symbol of Yahweh's glory being poured out on the parts of the tent of meaning. This means that the anointing is sacramental in character. It is a ritual sign and seal of the spiritual reality of God's glory coming upon the furniture. As Moses applies the oil, the glory of God is doing His sanctifying work. And it isn't just the fittings and fixtures that that get the oil, but so does Aaron and his boys. The three steps of anointing the furniture is followed by two more anointings 
for Aaron and his sons. And Moses, again, is the master of ceremonies. He brings forth Aaron. He washes Aaron. He clothes him. And then he pours oil on Aaron's head, running down on his beard. Moses bathes and dresses his older brother. And with oil on his head, Aaron is sanctified to be holy. Holy to the Lord is the man and his office, just as that golden crown reads that sits on his turban. In the anointing, holiness is done. And after Moses does this to Aaron, he performs the same to his sons. They, they too are anointed just as their dad, which confers to the dynasty of Aaron an enduring priesthood throughout their generation. On this special New Year's Day, an enduring priesthood is ordained for God's people to intercede for them in their sins and for their lives throughout the, gener- the ages. This is an incalculable blessing for the people to always have a priest mediating for them. Yet with this, the Lord's instructions are complete. There are seven stages to assemble the tabernacle, three rituals to sanctify the tent of meeting, and two anointings for the priest, 12 steps. And without further delay, New Year's Day dawns, and Moses is up in Adam. And as is to be expected, Moses does not miss a step. To make this obvious, his work of assembly is organized by seven compliance formulas once again. Moses did just as the Lord commanded Moses. From verses 17 to 33, Moses follows the seven holy steps of the Lord's directions. His obedience matches the commandments to the order of seven, and there is no higher uh, ranking. Sevenfold obedience is ideal righteousness, no exaggeration, period. The sevenfold compliance, though, also creates a double seven, a seven pattern in this chapter as in the previous one. And it likewise, it invokes a link or recapitulation of creation. The Lord orders a new creation here on New Year's Day, and Moses Legos new creation together on the first day of the rest of their lives. All this, all the monumental news of this day, then, is rather breathtaking. Yet there is something ordered and performed here that goes beyond just putting it together. Note that after Moses sets a piece up, he turns it on. He fits the ark together, and then he puts the covenant tablets inside. This is, after all, the job of the ark to hold the two stone tablets. The ark is up and running. So also on the table... Moses organizes the 12 loaves of face bread. He then ignites the seven lamps of the menorah, and he burns incense on the golden altar. And he starts the fire on the bronze altar with a whole burnt offering and a grain offering. Moses completes the circuit of each item, and the electricity is flowing. This is particularly notable, though, because the incense altar and the menorah do not normally operate at the same time. In the everyday rituals, the menorah only burns at night, and the incense smokes during the day. 
they do not run simultaneously. But on this grand day of inauguration, both are functioning together. Indeed, the functional pieces are all signs of God's presence. They are sacramental seals of Yahweh being near of Emmanuel. The ark is the chariot throne. The bread is called face bread because it lays before the face of Yahweh. The menorah lamp images the column of fire burning through the night. And the incense smoke resembles the pillar of fire, or pillar of Yahweh's cloud by day. And the smoke of the whole burnt offering is the sweet-smelling aroma to keep God near and his favor flowing. These five sacred pieces are sacramental seals of Yahweh's presence. He is near and residing among his covenant people. And yet, all this nearness is paradoxically kept at a distance. In Moses' labors of assembly, the text fronts the coverings. The coverings hide the holy layer of the tabernacle. Moses hangs the inner veil to screen over the ark. He puts up the sanctum screen to hide the menorah, the table, and the incense altar. He surrounds the bronze altar and the tabernacle with a courtyard fence and its gate. The sacraments of nearness are all concealed behind curtains and barriers which communicate a deep sense of God's transcendence. The, so holy is the ark and the menorah, to even peek at them as a lay Israelite means your death. You put one finger on the bronze altar and bam, you die. If you stick one toe past the courtyard gate in an impure state, the Levite sword will run you through. So lofty is the magnificent glory of God that you cannot even see the sacraments of his presence. And fatal is your approach if done in disobedience. This is a wonderful and terrifying combination of Yahweh's imminence and his transcendence. The tabernacle is like a box that God put himself in to live among his people. But Israel cannot enter the box, and if God breaks out of the box, his holiness consumes all. It is marvelous to have God near, but his supreme holiness is deadly to sinners. His glory is a consuming fire. It keeps you warm at a distance, but too close, and you get torched. Nevertheless, at this point, something unexpected happens. In the directions, the Lord gave seven steps to assemble and then five steps to anoint for sanctifying. Well, Moses obediently completes the acts of putting together, but then he's interrupted. Before he can start anointing, he's barged in upon to suspend his work. And who cuts Moses off? It's the Lord himself. All of a sudden, the glory cloud covers the tent of the meeting. The glory of Yahweh fills the tabernacle. The cloud dwelt among the, um, upon the tent, and Yahweh's glory permeates the tabernacle. This is sacramental theology in all its glorious action. 
A sacrament is a visible symbol of a spiritual reality. The golden furniture signified God being near, and now God is truly near. The anointing oil pictured the sanctifying power of God's glory, and now his glory descends and fills in order to make holy. On this New Year's Day, as Moses administers the sacraments, they are done in the doing of them. The Lord automatically makes them effective as his glory comes near and sanctifies everything. But there's more. The wording here about the cloud covering and the glory dwelling resembles nearly word for word the language of Exodus 24. When God's glory cloud descended upon the crown of Mount Sinai, the cloud does to the tabernacle then exactly what it previously did to the mountain. This means that the glory cloud has moved from the summit of Sinai into the heart of the tabernacle. And this moving of the cloud is a replicating of Sinai in the tabernacle. The glory of the mountain becomes the movable tent. This makes the tabernacle a portable Sinai. As the holy geography of the mountain went up vertically, so it spreads out horizontally in the geography of the tabernacle. Even more so, the top of Mount Sinai was the realm of heaven, just as the intersanctum of the tent replicated heaven on earth. This makes the tabernacle the wagon of heaven. The tent is a piece of heaven on wheels to travel around with the people. As it makes clear, the movement of the cloud was the guide and protector of Israel as they made their way through the wilderness. When the cloud lifted up, the people started hiking. If the cloud stayed put, it was the day to stay in the camp. And just like at Sinai, the people saw the cloud during the day, but at night they could see the fire of Yahweh glowing within the cloud. In fact, the cloud and fire is another example of the paradox of God's nearness and transcendence. Now, it's clear that the fire is more closely associated with God's own glory, but the cloud conceals the glory deep within So here the glory filled the tabernacle inside the tent where the cloud covered and veiled the tabernacle. The cloud announces that God is near, but his glory is concealed and separated from the people. They can see the fire burning at night from afar, but during the day God's glory is hidden from their eyes. Indeed, in this regard, there's something here that is greater than Sinai. In Exodus 24, when the cloud descended upon the mountain, Moses entered the glory cloud and stayed there for 40 days. Here, though, the glory fills and the cloud covers so that Moses is not able to even enter the tent of meeting. In the cleft of the rock, Moses got a peek of God's back, But this is not allowed him here now. The cloud and the glory is more intense in the tabernacle than it was on at Sinai. 
Not even Moses can penetrate the transcendent splendor of Yahweh on this New Year's Day of Emmanuel. God's glory shines brighter, his cloud is thicker, the holiness more solid. Even the obedient Moses has met his limit. The highest heaven that has come upon the tabernacle is a locked door to Moses. And with this, the curtain closes on the book of Exodus, quite literally with a cloud that covers and conceals. And from the beginning, how much has changed? Indeed, world history, redemptive history, is forever altered by the events of the book of Exodus. This story opened with a bunch of Hebrew slaves whining under the yoke of a pagan pharaoh. Those children of Abraham were imprisoned in the land of a thousand gods. Pharaoh himself was venerated as a god. Pharaoh was the son of God sitting at the right hand of Amon-Ra. The reality then was then that Israel belonged to idols. They were slaves to idolatry. Their slavery was not primarily a socio-economical matter, but it was a dark spiritual reality of being imprisoned under idols in service to the evil one. But now Israel has been transformed into the community of the living God dwelling on earth among them. Yahweh has created his people as the place where his heavenly sanctuary lives. And after the double seven pattern, the cloud descended, the glory filled, and the people go wherever he lives. This is truly nothing less than a new creation. Nothing like this has ever happened since the beginning of the world. For us, we see the tabernacle recapitulating Eden. But for Israel, Eden was more so the recapitulation of the tabernacle. From the perspective of Exodus 40, the reality is the tabernacle, and Eden is merely a type. Nevertheless, where this chapter is the first of its kind, it's not the last of its kind. The concrete, objective, solid glory of God filling the tabernacle points forward to Emmanuel that is more stout and substantial yet, the incarnation and sevenfold righteousness of Christ. Here, the glory of Yahweh tabernacled with Israel in a sacred tent. In the birth of Jesus, the Holy One took on human flesh to tabernacle among his sinful people. In the flesh and blood of Jesus, the full divinity of the Son of God took on human flesh to live with us. Then, like Moses, he obediently constructed the sanctuary of God for all of us to live in. As the royal temple builder, Christ actually put together the heavenly dwelling of God to live with us as his redeemed people. And yet, when did he do this? Well, by his blood, he bought us to be his own. His righteousness was vindicated in the resurrection for our justification. Yet the sanctifying of the tabernacle here was particularly symbolized 
by the anointing oil. The glory spirit sanctifying the tabernacle was the reality connected to the sign of anointing. And Jesus poured out his glory spirit at Pentecost. Indeed, the same and unique idiom here of the glory filling the tent appears only one time in the New Testament. It shows up in Acts 2 on Pentecost. Yet there, the glory spirit did not fill a tent or a stone building, but it filled the hearts of the saints. The pillar of fire hovered over the heads of each of the believers as tongues of fire. The glorified Christ created the true heavenly dwelling of God on on Pentecost, and it was the people themselves. You, beloved, are the living tabernacle of God. Christ is the head, and you are a spiritual body. The glory of God here was concealed behind the veils and the fences. But the perfect atonement of Christ brings the glory of the Spirit into your very heart. And as the living temple of the Spirit, Jesus Christ is with us to the end of the age and for eternity. Here, Israel followed the glory cloud wherever it led. So also when Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there with you. This is the same glory spirit imagery. In worship, every Lord's Day, we draw near to the very Holy of Holies to worship God in the confidence and peace of Christ's finished work. And in the presence of Christ, you receive all the blessings of his salvation and his love to provide and to sustain you unto glory. And because this is the, because this is the heavenly and rich reality of our new creation worship in the New Testament, nothing is more reasonable and natural than the exhortation for us not to neglect our gathering together. Gathering together face-to-face in worship can have many hurdles against us. The Internet tells us that virtual is better. Being an introvert, depressed, or having insecurities can make other people the last place you want to be. Individual time can be more convenient. But none of these are substitutes or valid excuses for the Lord. Christ's redemption and the Spirit's outpouring created us anew as a body to gather together as the family of God to worship together. Thus, may we glorify our triune God every Lord's Day as we gather together. And by our gathering together, may we glorify him until he comes again. Amen. Let's pray.